Hello and welcome to another episode of Cabaret Darlings. I'm your host Millie Dollar and this is what I sound like. Um, so we haven't got a theme tune as of yet because this is only episode 4 but in the room we have the wonderful Velma Bon 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 who is going to whiff us up a quick theme tune on the fly. Are you ready? Three, two, <laughs> one, and... I like that there's laughing in the theme tune. <laughs> Cabaret, darling. Perfect! That's the one. That's the one. That's the one. It's just laughter. <laughs> I, know, I like that theme tune. It's like... Ha, ha, ha. Oh, so, She's had one. It is, uh, <laughs> this is what happened last time. It is after midnight and we have just finished a show. So wine has been drunk and the bewitching hour of October has just begun so this episode episode is releasing on halloween so have a fantastic halloween after everyone Uh, so we're sponsored today by my eco-friendly sideline milliedollarbeauty.com a range of vegan biodegradable cosmetic glitters so super good for the planet super light amazing synthetic silk lashes and you can save using our podcast promo cabaret darlings all one word all caps to save 10 percent on your next order Ooh. so too late now if you're listening on halloween but if you listen last week and put your order in then you're fine <laughs> also Ooh. biodegradable glitter is one of your five a day don't forget. it yes <laughs> so today our guest is snooky mono hello. hello and we also have our studio audience member tonight singular audience member of velma von 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 who Yay. may interject because this is a very good story and I think you're going to enjoy it. I think you're both going to enjoy it. She's here for reactions. Yeah. (laughs) Subtle, subtle reactions. Subtle reactions. Don't be too distracting. Yeah. I'm not the guest. But, Snooky, when did we meet first? Because it's been, like, I know we first connected because I made you a pair of fans you did. way 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 a back in the years day. ago I mean um, I'm gonna probably I think everyone by a certain point is just like we met like 10 years ago we'll yeah say 10 years it's ago. Like, I think it was more, let's say though. it's a decade but yeah. we don't at least know. a decade at least just yeah. makes me feel, feel very like old I know I do you keep being asked I keep getting asked all the time what was Bales like 10 years ago mm. and it keeps happening and I'm like oh I feel like I've been in this game a little, kind little of. long I mean, now. It's been a very quick ten years. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's flown by the past decade. I, really I think, like in terms like of like the industry that's grown up around burlesque is very different. But I think mm. at the core of it, like what's on stage, sure, production values are generally a bit higher because they have to be now. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it kind of goes in circles, and like I think ten years is a nice way to sort of judge it. When I started performing burlesque was really really big yes and then as tends to happen like the scene gets oversaturated and people sort of lose interest in mm-hmm. it and i'm sort of seeing we're hitting that 10 year mark again and people yeah, are really I feel getting like into we're it. starting to get a new wave but i feel with each wave there's more um differences within the community like in terms of the styles that come into play sure. you can be good now <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You, can't walk, you can be good. Walk you can't. No, you're not allowed to just walk like, across the other way. You can't grind your way through it anymore. You should be able to do that. You, you can put at least a twirl in yeah. and just be like, now. oh, beautiful. Yeah. The dancers <laughs> found us mm-hmm. and went, we want to do this. And yeah. we went, oh shit. So I just, I exited stage right. <laughs> I, but yeah, I'm. Yeah, I think, like, I'm just, I'm now seeing, like, after 10 years, I'm seeing the interest in burlesque really, really kicking in again. I think it's really exciting, and I'm seeing people creating, like, really interesting and diverse and different work that maybe wouldn't have gotten so much of a platform back then, maybe because it was... Well, there are also those new platforms... Absolutely. ...that we didn't have 10 years ago. Yeah. remember way back when we were connecting and getting all our gigs via MySpace. And we did. We kind of knew we can. Were connecting, but not in the way that we always saw what the others were doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think also just like having so few performers back in the day. I mean, um, I actually did um, another interview uh, last week, and we were talking about specifically the Glasgow scene, which is the yeah. scene that I'm from. Um, and it's completely true. Like back in back in the day, you'd be able to fit um, every single performer within 
the revival of burlesque and cabaret within Glasgow into black taxis. Yeah. With room for luggage. You can't do that anymore. No, definitely not. It's, it is exciting to see that there is growth mm-hmm. and there's still interest. And I but think it's really I interesting to see... growth extends to shows. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's interesting to watch how the industry changes. Yeah. Um, and how you can sort of jump on that if mm-hmm. you can as well. Yeah, because when you started performing, you were performing more boyless. Absolutely. And now you swallow swords instead. Yeah, because I saw yeah. a gap in the market. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I can do that. No, well, yeah, I can learn well, to do that. Yeah, I think I I think similar to what we're talking about now. I was watching the scene change, and I was watching more performers coming in, and um, effectively, I was seeing performers that were far better at yeah. that art form than I was. And I think I was like, well, I ain't going to last in this for very long. And I've been in it for so long, I don't know how to do anything else. Yeah, it's that weird gap where you're like, I've done this for so much of my adult life now. Yeah. How do I transfer yeah. that to anything else? Yeah, which is kind of pathetic, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> but you are you are extending that like everything you've learned from performing into now an agency. To yeah. A devil may care. Devil may care. Yeah. So whoop. we we started. Whoop. Whoop. Um, so <laughs> I I actually started Devil May Care a, a wee while ago. Actually, it was over a yeah. year ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just through word of mouth, and it was basically I was working a number of gigs where the bookers were looking for a specific thing for club performance. Yeah. Um, and I just so happened that one of the guys I was working with, I was like blagged it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm I'm running an agency right now, and basically it came out of the this industry. Um, whilst it's growing and whilst it's really helpful for performers to have more opportunities, in many aspects the power is still left with venues, and yes. I think there is a Very place true. for ethical booking and making sure that performers are getting a decent amount of money for what they're being asked to do. And a place like so, for example, Glasgow, yeah, um, where I live, has an incredibly vibrant scene. It has mm. dedicated venues, it has dedicated club nights, but because there's so much of it within this very localised climate of entertainment, it means that the power t- is still with the venues, where they can offer you like a packet of crisps and a hand job to come out and do an <laughs> act. And that just, for me, that wasn't good enough. for a packet of crisps and Depends on what crisps. Um, <laughs> How about I, a donut? <laughs> I, am a, I am a hungry boy. But yeah, I just, I wanted to have a situation whereby I could make sure that performers, that I could see their skill level and the amount of work they were putting into could get decent work yeah. and would be able to walk away from a job with enough money to be able to put it back into their art form as well. Because when you have a climate whereby everyone's clawing for all these gigs, money goes down, and then how do you expect performers to reinvest into themselves? Yes, I, I've noticed there's a, a bit of a thing for um, the bookers. They want you to have new acts every time you visit, but then they're not paying a, yeah. a, a, the usual going rate. And also, and it's like, the- how can you afford to pay like? Because I, I know for, for me, my costumes, they can go for anywhere from a grand to two grand to of three course. grand. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm getting someone offering me 150 quid for, to come and do two acts with four or five grand's worth of kit in my bag yeah. every time, the finances don't make sense. No, they don't make sense. There's no economic sense no. to that. Um, so, and that's yeah. difficulty of, that is the difficulty of where it becomes an industry because I would say I would really say that like burlesque and cabaret has only really became an industry very recently like mm. last couple of years recently before that I would say it was a growing industry and people were trying to find their feet whereas now I feel precedents are already been set up yeah um and yeah I, I think also that thing of like venues wanting like constant new work as well it's like but don't you want the good like tried and practice work like yeah like coming in with this sort of like idea like tried and tested i know that this works for an audience yeah so like so i'm producing a show next year and part of the theme of the show was purely like it's called lelouch um part (laughs) of the theme of the show was purely like i don't lelouch and when is this Uh, (laughs) just segue into that that'll be valentine's day in the swg3 in glasgow 14th of february 14th of february tickets will be on sale on the 1st of november so when this comes out tomorrow day after this comes out (laughs) um and yeah, like the, the I didn't want to have a narrative. I'm seeing an approach with a lot of producers now creating narrative based shows, mm. 
And I was like, that's cool, but this doesn't need a theme or a narrative because actually, like, the five or six minutes that an artist is on stage, you're not watching their five or six minutes. You're watching their previous decade working out, like, every gesture, every move, how this all accumulates into one thing. And that there is what, that's the class, that's their their product, and that's what I want to see. Yeah. Has anyone got yeah. something that fits this theme? I'm like, no, but I'm really good, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that. take a break from this. Do you theme. want a theme tune? <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah, I can do a theme tune for you. <laughs> Just Round two. All the time, <laughs> the theme tunes are not my forte. <laughs> I don't know, bro. No, I like the theme tune with the laugh halfway in. <laughs> so, it's yeah. great. Uh, but okay. I think you both of you, actually are uh, fellow murderinos mm. which makes me think that you you're gonna enjoy this story that i have for you tonight settling in so, settle in and we're gonna start this story after this short word from our sponsors kiki boutique is an independent shop nestled in the heart of the northern quarter manchester it was established in 2008 and has been making bespoke corsets and outfits ever since lynn works closely with each customer to create their perfect corset or costume as she goes through the whole process of discussing exactly what you want to bring to life your routine or dream outfit they use only the finest of components and their many years of experience will help you to make the right choices a lot of my costumes have been made by lynn and she has turned my absolutely insane ideas into reality um, so i cannot recommend them highly enough if you loved any of my costumes then get yourselves down to kiku boutique Northern Quarter, Manchester. Okay, are you ready for some burlesque history? Yes. Born ready. Some scandal. Ooh. Give some me it. Some murder. Yes. Murder. Okay, well, after becoming one of the most sought after models in the Art Institute of Chicago, Patricia Schmidt was offered a contract to join the burlesque circuit. Apparently that's all you need to do back then. Okay. Just be like, <laughs> you're pretty, come strip. Um, she said she didn't want to be branded in show business as a burlesque performer, but she became infamous for a very different reason. Ooh. Ooh. Patty was signed to a small club in Chicago, the Silver Palm Cafe, for a week. This then became a seven-month contract as a novelty number entertainer. She produced a routine with a Chinese slash Arabic theme. In interviews, she herself said Chinese, but then in um, other writings about her, they say it's more Balinese. So I don't think she even knows. Um, As she had... She had a headdress. She had high brows, black hair, and almond-shaped eyes. Uh, Seemingly, that's all you needed to be considered a novelty act back then. It's like, your face is slightly different that's all you need uh it was here that she changed her stage name to satira sorry what satira <laughs> <laughs> okay big satira did you not like the <laughs> drama i mean it was lovely <laughs> there was a little bit of drama there mm. uh it was at the silver palm that she made the acquaintance of john lester me a quiet spoken lawyer who she originally had no interest in it happens. <laughs> Sometimes just like, mm, no. Um, John pursued her and began coming to the club often. He won her over and they started to date. Which would never happen, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're like, here's an audience member that will yeah. not leave Go me alone. Go out with me. Go out with me. Yeah. Like, hi, Go hi, hi, me. hi, 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 hi. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> You'll find me in your message request. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, with, with that said, I've been single for a while now, so give it another year. <laughs> Thanks, babes. <laughs> I was uh, about to start asking, like, have you never banged an audience member? No, I've got like, rules about it. <laughs> rules about no, 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 like so. no audience members and kind of no other performers as well. Oh shit! <laughs> I, know, bro. I broke both of those. You both broke both of those. Well, luckily, I was with my husband before I even started burlesque. You were because I knew you and Rob yeah. way back when. So yeah, but I just I've never I, even been this year. Always just had that rule. Yeah. I think it's a healthy rule. It, yeah, but then also it, it means that, It like, also stops you having that awkward thing where you go to a show and they turn off and you're like, oh, hey. I mean, the thing is, like, I... Like, my performance is pretty much me holding a series of weapons. I'm not that guy anyways. Yeah. But I do... I've just always had it. Like, no. No. 
Oh. I'm sorry for her breaking the, no, those rules. <laughs> I'm married to a performer. And <laughs> yes, I did do that one time. If you're listening, hello. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, John Lester Me told her that he had been divorced for three years, and his wife had been a dancer also, but told her that he began to yearn for contrast, possibly with a woman who was more dominating. Okay. Okay. So they're starting to see. Uh, yeah. A direction. Yearning for contrast. Shit in my chest. I yearn. <laughs> I, I yearn for contrast. <laughs> From from my wife. It's a bit of a strange statement. Yeah, put that in an Instagram context. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, hello. Than a I'm yearning some contrast. Well, <laughs> are you more <laughs> dominating <laughs> at all? <laughs> he also revealed that he had recently left the Navy, formerly serving as a PT boat commander in the South Pacific. Oh, actually. Mm. So he's a, he's a seaman. Yeah, maybe I can go on this. <laughs> Uh, if he wasn't busy enough, he also spent time writing poetry mm, that he even went... <laughs> You're sounding a bit judgy. Well, <laughs> this is... this is Because well, I, I know what comes next. Okay. So, this is uh, for he spent time writing poetry that he even went so far as to have privately published. Mm. Most of them absolute drivel about love and romance. And I say that because I've read some of them. Oh, Lord, you know. Okay. Well, that's why it has to be privately published, because no one's going to... Do you have any no of them here? I don't, because oh. I, I was I was tempted I to put some of them in, but I just I don't really want the sound of me gagging on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. just like, huh, no. <laughs> I, I think that's something I'd like to hear later in the series. Yes. Some of these. I think we should. Re- yeah, let's revisit this episode. John Lester, me. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot in this episode. There is so much more to cover. Where's my oh. phone? Let's Google. I think you should just, um, <laughs> send some little voice clips to random cabaret performers of the of poetry. Just some of that <laughs> no poetry. I'm yearning for contrast, bro. Hey, hey, I'm yearning for some contrast. Mm-hmm. And can you dominate me? <laughs> what Satira didn't know was that John was very much a regular face at burlesque palaces. Really? Because I know this. <laughs> Where he would lavish his favourite dancer with kinky poems, not about love, but about whipping and bondage. Ah. The original dick pic. Ah. Well, don't worry, because he also wrote them poems about having bubble baths. Oh. Cool. What I year is know. this again? This is in 1947. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, Scary time to be a man and a poet. A man and a poet with a thing for a penchant for kinky sex and bubble baths. Well, I feel this is foreshadowing. <laughs> oh, slightly, slightly. After he finished law school in 1941, he surprised his family by marrying one of these dancers, a blonde woman named Mary Dixon, also known as Marilyn Drake. There's not a lot of info out there about Marilyn Drake. She's kind of a bit player, unfortunately, for poor Marilyn. Not long after their marriage, Pearl Harbor was bombed. John Mee kissed Mary goodbye and enlisted in the Navy. Here he had a distinguished career, captaining the boat in the Pacific, and was discharged as a lieutenant in 1946. So when I mentioned to Ed that he was discharged as a lieutenant, he said that was a demotion. Right. So something must have happened, possibly, that we don't know about so might have not been an honorable discharge let's just say Uh, it was not long after that he met satira so okay mary marlin who like bye that would be a montage in the movie see ya (laughs) yeah it's like on the boat in his white suit after months of dating satira signed on for a caribbean tour with other chicago dancers arriving in havana on December the 11th, 1946. So we're changing locations now. Mm-hmm. So not only are we. I'm seeing the going opening scene in the movie. South, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, this could be a movie, I think. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. It could be a movie. Yeah. Uh, me and a sailor friend of his, Chuck Johnson, paid $800 for a 72 foot Navy surplus boat with plans to turn it into a luxury yacht and floating hotel. So the man had plans. Right. Like he's got his poetry published, got a bit of money together. Probably not from the poetry, but a boat. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like, let's make this a yacht. It's big enough to be a hotel. Well, yeah, 72 like, um, foot. I'm like, how big is that? Also, we're talking military boat, though. So yeah. It's a couple of buses long. A couple of buses long. Yeah, but small quarters. Well, apparently. Okay, well, was it like a boutique hotel or was it like a big hotel? Well, it's like a floating hotel. So it's like, we'll take you to places while you sleep. Uh, the two sailed down the Mississippi River before traveling around the Gulf of Mexico. Very romantic. I know, but was, this was him and his friend Chuck. Well, oh. less oh, okay. Yeah. They I mean, had a romantic time. <laughs> I mean, it's, he got demoted from the Navy in the 50s, like, mm. Oh, this is in the 40s, so. Well, yeah, even further. Demoted from the Navy in the yeah. 40s, and he mm-hmm. likes to write poetry. I'm not saying anything, but yeah. I'm saying some things. Okay. <laughs> things are implied. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, a month after Satira arrived in Cuba, John Lester Mee and Chuck Johnson sailed in on lifeboat, newly christened as. The Satira. Oh. Yeah, really oh. imaginative. Is that sweet though? Um, I think if I was going to get a boat named after me, I probably wouldn't want it to be a Navy surplus boat. Because no. surplus, that's just supplies, isn't it? It's a supply ship. <laughs> I don't I'd know be about happy it. to have just a any boat will do. I will get. Um, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, okay, um, it's the most tragic thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Name your freight after me. Name something after me. Yeah, but also I think we need to remember context here. Who? So, like, if we're talking about, like, say, Rob, like, sorting you out with a boat, that's a slightly different <laughs> scenario than this guy. And they got me a towel with my name on it. Well, let's move on a then. Hotel. <laughs> let's move on a then. A towel, not a hotel. <laughs> I'll get you a dinghy. Uh, in 1946, Cuba was pre-Castro and was known to be mainly a mob-ran cesspool of sordid sex and plenty of booze. Sounds good. Yeah. Which Destination venue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it appealed to a certain American tourist. So, you know, the rough kind. <laughs> yeah. The, the entirety of America. Uh, Mee had hinted towards living in romantic bliss on his boat in the tropics and also towards wedding bells, uh, with Satira believing that she had met a romantic wealthy lawyer from good stock. Oh, Satira. Oh, babe. Uh, it wasn't long before she was living with him and Chuck on their boat, but not living the life of luxury she expected. Not really a surprise. No. I can't say I'm shocked. Like, you mean the guy that you met in a burlesque club who kept hanging around and giving She's you poems? a boat, though. I feel like these days... The, the boat would do. The boat wouldn't even exist. You wouldn't get as far as the boat. <laughs> There'd be no boat. I think you specifically are particularly hung up on this boat scenario. Yeah, well, I think you just seems like a want... luxury to me. You're projecting. I've never had a boat. <laughs> if anyone out there would like to buy a boat for Belma Bon Bon Bon, we're going to set up a GoFundMe account. Yeah. We're going to do the whole thing. The Velma. Or would it be the, the Kalashnikov? Um, I'd settle for anything, to be honest. Just a boat? Just any boat. This is actually... Boats are expensive. <laughs> is this actually happening? <laughs> <laughs> not yet, but you can make it happen, listeners. <laughs> no, let this not happen. Um, if anyone has a boat that they want to name after me, do it. And send us pictures. And send photos, and we will put them on the Cabaret Darlings Instagram account. Yes! Yeah. Edit, edit all of us out. Edit that out, Mike. <laughs> so, it became apparent before long, here's mm-hmm. a shocker for you, that John Lester Mee was, in fact, broke. His idea of transporting passengers... I love that there's the sound of wine being poured in the background. <laughs> there's wine being poured. We're, We're just... sat on a bed, so if there are any dodgy creaks... It's just, we're just sitting. No, trust me. <laughs> none of that's true. We've just got a boat. <laughs> We've just got a boat. We're on the waters, sailing out to sea. <laughs> um, so his idea of transporting passengers on exotic trips sounded good on paper, but the boat was old and malfunctioning, leaving the passengers to just want to get off the vessel. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. I'm well, not a fan of the old boat. I'm sorry. I think I'd be okay with a nice boat, but this is like, this is like Firefest. Yeah. It's like, this boat keeps not working. Yeah. It's old and rusty. It's kind of gross. Probably a bit dusty. Haunted. Haunted. I'm maybe <laughs> it more elaborate though. It uh, might have been. Sure. Could have been. Uh, John no longer wanted Satira to dance. Mm. Oh. 
becoming more and more possessive of her as time went on. She had previously been living in one of the expensive luxury Havana hotels, but John insisted she had to move onto the boat. Fuck that. I know. Fuck that. With him and his With him friend. and his friend, Chuck. Who? Hmm. Yeah. We don't know a lot about Chuck, but if you've got a friend who you'll turn around to and say, let's buy this boat and sail to Havana, and they go, yeah, sure, whatever. There, I think there's more to this than meets the eye. You think that uh, Chuck and John were having an illicit? I mean, I'm not saying thing, that, or? but like, oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Everything points to that. Everything is pointing to that. Like, yeah, just like, come join me and my friend Chuck on our yeah. boat. But first, yeah. we're gonna have a romantic time. Yeah, we're gonna sail around for okay, a month. Okay, I feel like you're Mexico. now. I feel like you're now directing some sort of illicit pornographic movie. If it hasn't been made yet, it should be. Okay. So if you're so, interested in being part of this movie, so just buy it. you a boat. <laughs> buy send you a boat, and then <laughs> please do not send it. Edit that out. <laughs> She's had wine. <laughs> She had too many wines. What was she it? sat here Wine. wanting a just, boat, just, just pining for this boat. He had a th- he had a thirst for contrast. Thirst for contrast. But yeah, yeah. He he craved contrast. He craved contrast. Contrast. Yes. Apparently, a boat was contrast. Mm. We'll see. Uh, to earn money for food, they began to start selling off various items, including. Some of Tira's handmade exotic dance costumes that she'd been previously using to make a comfortable living. Basically, fuck that guy. Like, yes. <laughs> no thanks. Nah. Get off yeah. that Goodbye. boat. Goodbye. Get off the Get boat. Sea. Goodbye. Get in that sea. Get, Get off that boat and into the sea. <laughs> it's easy enough. Yeah, it's, it's just step. one single jump. Yeah. And you're there. Uh, the luxury promise was not fulfilled. Yet still, she wanted to marry him. Oh, babe. I mean, I'm trying to be sympathetic. Hmm. Well, she bought a bolt of pink satin cloth that she planned to turn into a wedding dress, but John refused to let her turn the silk into a gown. It's like red flags everywhere. Mm-hmm. Here's a red flag. Here's a giant boat. It's a red flag. Here's my mate Chuck. He's a red flag. He didn't like the Here's color. Here's some poetry. <laughs> I didn't. don't know. It was obviously he didn't want to follow through with. Oh, so there was. There was no oh, okay. I think I'm diving too deep into my sort of homoerotic fantasy about this. <laughs> and he's just like, I don't like that color. Yeah, he's like, pink? <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> so, but it was because of this she realized that he had no intention of marrying her. Oh, yeah, her. it's because of that he realized. Yeah. Well, that and everything else. Yeah. The, the sudden control and so on. But. Also, that his sexual appetite was becoming more erratic. Erratic? Mm. What did I expect it? Er- mm, erotic, maybe? No, I just no. I thought you'd be more like voracious, like like you want more. Erratic sounds like erratic. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, like I mean, need more definitions of erratic. Yes. Yes. Go for it. Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> So for 12 weeks, the two had cavorted aboard the boat, anchored just off the Mail de Lourdes wharf. <laughs> no idea if I said that right. Seemingly happy at first, but attracting attention and probably binoculars as Satira began sunbathing naked on the deck of the boat named after her. I mean, you would do, though. Yeah. It's a miserable fucking boat. You're like, we're going to get some fucking sunshine. Yeah. I'm not having a good time. Yeah. John's in there with Chuck, doing God knows what. Not marrying me. Not not making a dress. Oh. So I've got no clothes to wear. Get a sunbathe naked. By April 1947, it all came to a head. So, 47. So, how long have they been together by now, then? So, they met in 1946. Oh, okay. Oh. August of 1946. So, it's quite fast moving. Yeah. Okay. It was the 40s. Okay. They were kind of like, hello, we need to get married in six months. Or Or that's it. Or I'm spinster. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Uh, John gave her a riding crop. Asking him to whip him, asking her to whip him as a prelude to what he called love rights. Yeah. Mm. So when I say his poetry was <laughs> a little bit derivative, okay. <laughs> he was like, "Hit me before the love rights, please." Okay. Mm. 
She declined to whip him or to let him strike her. So she's like, I'm not having it. I just want to make a wedding dress. I want to sunbathe. I want to not. I would like to not be on this fucking boat, bro. Yeah. I'd like to be on land. Why is Chuck always around? <laughs> Where did Chuck come from? What's his deal? I mean, I really am adding a layer to this that doesn't need to be in there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's integral. It's multi-layered. I hope so. It's, it's, it's multi-layered. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It is said that he practiced unusual sex on the dancer. That's direct. But it's also but like the late 40s. Chuck and not with her. But, but it says all... on the dancer rather than... On the dancer. Oh, on her. Yeah, on But on it's her. also like the yeah. late 40s. Like... Unusual. Th- things were a lot more vanilla then. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably like she he would be like, choke me a little. And she'd be like, no thanks. But nowadays it's, you know, required. People can't get up as long as Let's not kink chain as long as everyone's consenting. Exactly. And uh, feel free to pump your boyfriend Chuck in the background. <laughs> yeah. So he practiced unusual sex on the dancer in a similar vein to his previous poetry found in his writings. But that wasn't the only secret they held. Chuck. No. No. Not Chuck. Do I need to get off the Chuck boat entirely? (laughs) Get off the Chuck boat. Okay. Uh, Well, we don't get on the Satira boat. This could have been like the beautiful homoerotic tale of our times. I think the homoerotic tale was that. But this is the point where everything changes. It gets deathy. Come on. Yes. So, Satira found a letter. That suggested that John was indeed still married. Mm-hmm. And that's when the two began to bicker. On the 8th of April, oh, Chuck, so Chuck is still around, said he, could, he, he, <laughs> he's always around. He's always around. <laughs> uh, he said that he could hear them bickering below deck. By this point, a common occurrence. But the single shot that rang out put an end to that argument. I've mean, got some dramatic moments here. Oh, I'm trying my best to be like, drama! Satira claimed John had lunged towards her. She grabbed a twenty-two pistol and shot her lover once in self-defence. Because <laughs> of course... Is that the of course, <laughs> I like the idea that there's a twenty-two pistol just lying around as well. Yeah, well, it said that it was his that was in a drawer and... She had backed into the drawer and was like, I'm going to shoot. No, okay. Chicago. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. But like aquatic. Aquatic Chicago. It's <laughs> making it a musical. And also not in Chicago. Yeah. Is, isn't Chicago... Chicago, Chicago too. Okay. Like, <laughs> isn't Chicago street. like inland? Yeah. There's no coast. Yeah, but this is Chicago too. Okay, <laughs> Chicago too. Which, <laughs> which is set in not Havana. 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 It's Looks in Havana. Like Havana. In Cuba. <laughs> Me survive <laughs> for <laughs> that was the weird chocolate. <laughs> so I died. Me oh, survived for five or eight days before dying at Havana Hospital, age thirty-three. So okay. conflicting. Thirty-three. Report. Thirty-three. He was busy. So uh, yeah, already been married. Captain the ship, bought a boat, yeah. met a stripper, <laughs> fell in love. Got whipped, got shot. I want to know what the letter said. Although, you know, so, like, the, it must have been a letter between him and Mary, okay. his previous wife. Or Chuck. <laughs> but Chuck was on the boat, right? Don't you? care. <laughs> just slipping him notes as they go past each other in the ship hallway. Yeah. Just like, I love you, I miss you. <laughs> I'm here for this movie. <laughs> yes. It's going to be a very different movie if you write it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Someone else does. <laughs> I've got to start here, you know. I've got some notes for you here. Brilliant. Soon, the young woman from Toledo, Ohio, was on trial in Cuba for the murder of John Lester Me. So, yes, burlesque murder. Wow. Found one. Very happy to find <laughs> one. I found one. I found one. <laughs> I was always wondering. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes. The answer is yes. Yeah. So, the case became a media sensation. In both the Caribbean and in America, even making it to Europe as the story of love, 
murder, yacht, and strippers was just too juicy to pass up. I mean, yachts is a stretch. Yacht, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're running pretty fast and loose with the concept of yacht. Uh, he wanted to turn it into a yacht, but I don't know How if he can turn, turn a boat, a boat into a yacht. yacht. Into I don't a yacht, know. you can. Surely it's I, about the design of the boat. I don't, yeah, I would have thought I so. It's like, I'll throw up some sails. It looks like a yacht now. <laughs> Let's find out more about the trial, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So here was a beautiful 22-year-old American woman, but she was only 22 when this happened. She's got no clothes anymore. She's not getting clothes. She didn't make the dress. Uh, Who killed her lover on the boat that bared her name, claiming self-defense and labeling her dead lover a cruel sadomasochist who was a sexual fiend. So, of course, the press and public ate that shit right up. Well, as you would. would. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it happened now, you'd be like, oh, juicy details. <laughs> Give me them all. By autumn 1947, the trial was underway with extensive international coverage throughout. It reached the heights of celebrity trials with every day bringing new revelations and scandalous details. Are you ready for some scandalous, Give me your scandalous details? details or... Do we need to, no, I think we need a theme tune for Scandalous Details. Scandalous Details. Well done, guys. Well done. It harmonised, yeah. I think. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think Scandalous Harmonising yacht, whatever. Yacht. So, Satira testified that John Mee was obsessed with kinky sex and tried to force it onto her which at the time was such a sordid yet titillating defence. Okay. So back then it'd be like, oh, bondage. But I need deets. details. More details. Yes. <laughs> You're just like, tell me everything. Yeah. I want to know more about when this. When does Chuck slayed into those? <laughs> Chuck's gone. That's the thing. That's the end of Chuck. He's just like, I heard it. Bye. Yeah. There was <laughs> Don't so want any part of this. Yeah. The prosecution labelled Satira as a cold-blooded killer intentionally murdering her lover, uh, saying she was a woman of loose moral values. Oh, that's the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. She was branded as a young nude nymph, which is a pretty good tagline, actually, who cavorted on the deck naked and used Havana Bay as her own private swimming pool. But that... Mm. Yeah, to get away from the shitty boat. Yeah, also, like, (laughs) get off this boat. (laughs) Like, see, by cavorting, do they just mean she was on the deck? I've think so yeah. I do like, the like i don't think but they were like full on banging on the deck yeah you know it's like she's not banging him no cavorting is literally with people like dancing around like like i'm having a cavort like some kind of maiden come to my party let's cavort cavorting around flower gardens around their heads oh wow that's real detailed i don't know it just makes people quiet you're going to come walk like around tomorrow yeah. on stage. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's, I don't think that's what it means at all. No, I didn't, but that's just how it is. Tango, no, I don't think. So I think more, more of a salsa is more of a cabal. Yeah. You know, there's a lot more hip movements going on. Mm. Yeah. Mm. More sordid so, details. The details alongside the racy photographs printed of her in the press sold many newspapers and brought the attention of many to the case. Evidence was shown at her trial of scratches and bruises on her body which she claimed were infected by me during his sex games. She even reenacted the shooting to prove it was self-defense during the trial, which is quite strange. Yeah. Really. She's like, okay, everyone get on this boat. So what happened was this. Which is not a yacht. Which is not a yacht. A number of character witnesses were brought to the stand to attest to her honesty and good character, including some people from Toledo, and here is a list. Of Forgot about Toledo. <laughs> Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> I don't know if it. I don't know much about Toledo, Ohio. It seems oh, quite like geez. midwestern sort of place. So, a former grade school teacher of hers went on the stand to say, "No, she wouldn't have done it. She's nice. I knew her when she was five or whatever." I don't know what grade mm. school is. <laughs> uh, is that primary school or a secondary school? I think I feel know. like it's young. Okay. Like a younger age yeah. school teacher. Uh, the public were on Satira's side and court observers predicted that she would be acquitted. But are you ready for the verdict? It's just no, this is in Havana. No, but the, the, the musical must have Oh, this been, is like, the music Chicago. But she, because she was in and out of Chicago. So you could link it. 
Yeah, but it's like showgirl. You know, showgirl, showgirl murders. murders public on her side. She did it in self defense. Yeah, yeah but like with really, but really severe eyebrows. Yes. Mm. <laughs> How so, high were those brows? Exactly. <laughs> the judge labeled her a nymph. I don't know if that was the sentence, but he just went, "You're a nymph." And uh, he sentenced Satira to a 15-year prison sentence in December of 1947. Okay. She wrote her father, John Schmidt, that she was preparing to serve her time. So this caused great sadness both in Toledo and in Cuba, feeling that the sentence and verdict were unjust. Bobby Capo even wrote a song called Patricia that included the line, Your love was sincere and your pardon will come from the heavens. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He's confused by that lyric. Okay. The pardon will come from from God, basically. Patricia. Yeah. What's her real name? Yes. Okay. Because I was yeah, like... Yeah, we forgot that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it is late. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, but maybe someone was looking out for her because 10 months later, in October 1948, the president of Cuba, Grau San Martin granted a full pardon to Patricia Smith, releasing her from custody after serving just 18 months of her 15-year sentence. I mean, lucky break. I didn't know that that, yeah. that could happen. Mm, exactly. Twists and turns. But also, like, I mean, I'm still sure, like, 18 months in a, Cuban, in a Cuban prison, prison would in, not be fun. In the late 40s. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. That's Even now, weird. I'm like, mm, no, nah. skip it. I'm Go back to the yacht, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably similar. So. <laughs> Do I have to stay living with Chuck? <laughs> uh, he had recently been defeated in a recent election. Uh, this is the, the president of Cuba, not Chuck. Um, and was gearing up to leave office. He decided to grant pardons while he was still able to do so. And the case of Patricia Schmidt interested him just as much as it had the Cuban public. Her release was just as publicised as the rest of her case. And she returned home to Toledo, taking time to shoot some publicity shots of her leaving the prison. Which is kind of sad because there are still real prisoners in the cell. Oh, cells. And she's like, bye bye, bye no. bye. <laughs> I got out, good luck. Um, and also another photo of her disembarking the plane just for good measure. Like prove it. I'm home. Look, he's okay. getting off the plane. That's fine. The people in prison aren't gonna get to see that. Yeah. They're gonna have access to the media. So after stating that she was glad to return home to her home city and spend time with friends and family, she only stayed there for a week. Um, before capitalising on her newfound fame... And marrying Chuck. By, no, Chuck's gone. We don't know where Chuck... Well, I don't know what happened to Chuck. If anyone knows, write in. If you are Chuck and you're like If you are a granddaughter or grandson or great-granddaughter or great-grandson, I suspect you probably won't be. But if you are... (laughs) Write on it. Snooki's single and he wants to know what. Yeah. But yeah, she capitalised on her newfound fame being billed as the girl who ran into a little trouble down south. Good tagline. Great tagline. Good Do you tagline. Want to that one for yourself there. I think it's a good tagline. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah. I mean, it is, like, contextually based off your geography at that one time, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be like, wait, where? Yeah. Um, I also think that would be, like, a great tagline for a drag queen called, like, Clem Midia or something. Nice. Yeah. It's not just a flower. No. It was rumoured that she started earning up to $3,000 per week which nowadays is the equivalent to almost $32,000 a week. Mm. So maybe a bit of an exaggeration. So from just press stuff, or from like dancing, so did she go back to dancing? Yeah, she went back to right, performing but now burlesque. But now she has this great tagline. Like, right. Does she have, I mean like, I'm not romant- obviously I'm not romanticising murder. However, <laughs> she has like an act with a gun. <gasps> dun, what? Dun, dun. No, just oh, that would okay. be good. Because <laughs> if you told me, I was like, yes, I want to see that act. Yeah. And maybe someone needs to make a satira. Um, no, maybe they don't. Uh, no, really. <laughs> but 
be like, who's like, going to play Like, what's my stage prop? Well, it's a drawer. And... <laughs> <laughs> I let it be in prison for 18 months. Exactly. Uh, the newspapers began to speculate that Satira and Mary Dixon, John Lester Mee's widow, may team up for a tandem act. It's Chicago! But Mary this was... Chicago. Uh, not unsurprisingly, extremely reluctant. She was like, was she even a No. She, she was, was performing. Yeah, she, was. yeah. Um, Z, she has dignity. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. maybe she still liked him because they were still They were still married. And they were still married. Because she was like, so oh, he's like, joined the Navy. Husband, you bitch. Yeah, well, yeah. she was like, he joined the Navy to go and help in Pearl Harbor, just didn't come back. Exactly. Yeah. So like, she, she had like, principles. Um, I wouldn't have the principles. Well... Mary did make something being billed as his widow in other venues. Oh, what's her tagline? Oh, my husband, he's gone. Um, <laughs> Catchy. <help. laughs> However, she only scraped in about $600 per week, which would be about 6000 per week in today's money. That's, That's still a lot of money. It's not bad, but if Tatira was making like 32000 the equivalent of... A I week, take $6,000 a week. Just... Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's like, it's fine. I think that's an, a decent amount. But mm. Satira was obviously making a lot more mm. and got away with a murder. So, mm. uh, the fame saw her through for a good few years, but she soon found herself back to the regular bump and grind, playing small clubs in Chicago, but selling her story to newspapers time and time again. So now we're getting past the murder into the post-murder times. Okay. Does she have to kill again? Yeah, that would have been good. She would have been like the first burlesque serial But killer. this would also be like an eight-hour podcast. Yeah. And, like, and <laughs> here's her other yeah. She didn't, no, she didn't do a murder again. But she did, it, it still is strange, okay? okay. It, gets, it gets weird now. By the early 1950s, her fame was now dwindling and Satira suddenly vanished from public view after many years in the spotlight. However, a plucky reporter from the Toledo Gazette managed to track down just what happened to Patricia Schmidt and, strangely, this story gets even crazier now. Okay. All right? Yeah, we don't use plucky, though. Where's plucky, plucky. coming back? We need plucky. His name is plucky. Plucky chlamydia. <laughs> No. Okay. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's a proving nod. Listeners, I'm nodding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if you can just express everything. Yeah, please emote. Um, it seemed that she was hiding in plain sight, appearing to marry into the influential Van Ingen family, changing her name to Patricia Van Ingen, listed as living on Fifth Avenue in New York, looking over the lakes of Central Park. That's a jump. That's a nice little mm-hmm. place to go. You just right? wouldn't marry her, though, would you? What, just you know <laughs> She's like, hello, are you into bondage? No, great. I won't kill Fantastic. You. I have this pink silk. <laughs> <laughs> I've been saving this for a while, bro. <laughs> been sat there and I need to be... In 1960, Patricia travelled through Brazil for a month to work as a sculptor and seemed to immerse herself into the world of art and its creators. She had been living in Paris as much of the late 50s and 60s as part of the expatriate American arts colony. Okay. Okay. Here she met and modelled for the famous Man Ray. So I will put a photo of this up on the Instagram account because you can clearly see that it's her when you compare the photos. After years of travelling and working as a sculptor, she reappeared in America in the late 80s as she began to act. Okay, now it gets weird. Okay. I think this is weird. Uh, So she began to act in various TV shows and films, racking up an extensive IMDb page. So if you look up... I was literally just about to say, we need to look up her... She has got an IMDb. Okay, okay. She appeared as main characters in episodes of Dr. Quinn, Medicine Medicine Woman, Woman, Roseanne, and Heart of the West. Not Don't familiar know that with that. But... but also in uh, various TV movies and low budget films, such as Three Ninjas Knuckle Up. And this is a kids' film, not what you're thinking. Can I just point out that Three Ninjas is a great movie? So uh, her other movies include Cheyenne Warrior, 
and her final film, Wind River. In the movies, she only had bit part, mainly playing the role of an elderly Native American woman. Let me remind you at this point. She is not native. She was a white woman from Toledo, Ohio. Okay. But she had played on the fact that she looked. In her burlesque career, she played yeah. on the fact and trying to say that she created Chinese-inspired routines yeah. in her words, um, but also quite more Eastern appearance. She had a headdress. She had, yeah. Um, and then now she suddenly popped up playing Native American right, okay. parts. Okay. In Wind River, she acted alongside Russell Means, the leader of, and this is the only title I can find for this organisation, so I'm not sure if it still exists or not, uh, the American Indian Movement, which is a grassroots movement created to address systematic issues of poverty and police brutality against Native Americans. During the filming, Patricia spoke to the press about the need for accuracy and authenticity mm. in movies um, that deal with Native American themes. Hmm, hang on. In another interview, she spoke of her mother's Cherokee heritage, but genealogy searches show that her mother was French-Canadian. No link is found between Patricia and the Cherokees at this point, but it doesn't seem to suggest any. Mm-hmm. Patricia passed away before Wind River was released, passing in 1999, leaving behind a world of secrets and possible cover-ups, from her heritage to her marriages and even murder. Murder. Yeah. So she just kind of lies. I mean, not that much secrets in terms of the murder. Things. Like that definitely did happen. That definitely he happened. Is, he, he, but he is was it self-defense or was she just like, um, fuck this guy? Yeah, because I think like. I think um, creating something around the idea of someone's sexual appetite or sexual needs being a little bit risky would have been yeah. much fucking easier back then as well. Yeah, most yeah. likely. Especially with Chuck wandering around. Yeah, Chuck's like, uh, I just heard arguing. I don't know. Yeah. But again, like, you never could've know. Could have gone either way. Could have gone either way. Could have yeah. been self-defense. Or she could have been like... Could have been murder. Um, could have been like... Yeah, I'm fed up of living on this boat. I hate this boat. Want to get off this boat. Yeah. 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 Who knows? Mm. We'll never know. We'll never know for sure. I do want to find that song, though. I looked it up, but I couldn't find it. Which was quite... But there are a lot of Bobby Capo songs, but I couldn't find one called Patricia. So, I don't know. Um, I will upload some photos of Satira and more photos of interest relating to this episode on the podcast Instagram account, which you can find by typing in at Cabaret Darlings. Give us a follow for future episode updates and a visual history of each amazing person or persons we talk about on this podcast. We will discuss more about the fascinating life of Patricia Schmidt, also known as Shatira, after this short break. Hold on to your heels, because this November, the Spare Rib are bringing the glam with Liverpool's first ever burlesque festival. From the 22nd to the 24th of November, they're hosting three fabulous evenings of entertainment, showcasing the best of burlesque in Liverpool and beyond. Tickets start from just £10, or treat yourself to a VIP experience. Learn from the legends with their weekend workshops, suitable for everyone, from beginners to pros, and maybe you'll be starring in next year's lineup. Go to thespareRib.co.uk or look them up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter for the full lineup, workshop information, and tickets. This is Liverpool's biggest burlesque blowout, and you do not want to miss it. So yeah, so that was um, quite a roller coaster of a story. Yeah, really. there was a lot going on. There's Chuck. The guy who comes and goes, and we don't know much about. I'm going to try and get my phone so that I can show you pictures of Satira herself. So who would, like, play her in the movie? Well, this is the thing. She nearly... (laughs) 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 Um, She, if it was likely that she was acquitted, like, when they were talking about the possibility of her being acquitted, um... There was a wealthy man who wants to get on board to make a film of her story and she'd star in it herself. Oh. So she would have played herself. Oh, no. In the movie. Oh, no. Um, well, when she. When all this was happening, she was 22. Hmm. 
So she would have been 22, 23 if she'd been acquitted and they made a film. So. But then when she was acting, actually, she was acting in these. When she was acting in these. Um, these movies, they. She. No, she died in 99, and all of this happened in the 40s. Maths is not my strong suit. So there's a photo of Satira, um, a really nice publicity photo where she's behind bars, <laughs> which was the photo they used in a lot of the press, which is strange. Yeah, she, she seems to have very good hair for someone who was in prison, because a lot of the photos are of her in prison. So yeah, but... If you search for Patricia Van Ingen, you can see that there's quite a similar look. You can, you can yeah, tell yeah. that it is her. So this is a photo of her on stage in her performance style. Oh, lovely, though. Yeah. But she yeah, nice seemed to travel quite a lot in the 60s after her fame dwindled a bit. Yeah, she yeah. She just kind of went, right, fuck it, I'm off travelling. And she lived um, in India near to the Himalayas in the 60s. Mm-hmm. So at that time where people were really travelling over to the Himalayas to try and find themselves. So this is like when the Beatles would have been... Oh, white people. Traveling. <laughs> 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 white people who go to India and then eventually somehow start acting as a Native American old lady. I mean, do you know why it happens? <laughs> It's, I don't know how she got away with it, to be honest. Mm. Like, cause she just... I think it'd be more fascinating, like, as much as I think the murder's interesting. Yeah. But I would actually be more fascinated to sort of see if they were going to make a movie. So this is it would be Patricia from when... Van Ingen. Oh, hi, pal. Oh. So you can see that it is. it seems to be the same woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, there was quite a few um, visa applications and things where that seem to link them but uh, there is no public record of her marriage this could have been because they were a wealthy family um, and she had a past Yeah. so maybe they covered it up to avoid scrutiny from the other Manhattan upper classes yeah yeah so look at her being hmm. the Helen Hunt movie alright it's yeah it is a bit strange though like, it seems almost quite brazen. The whole her. thing is just very Looney Tunes. <laughs> I very told you, it's quite a strange story. Yeah. Because it's like, you, you think that it's like, oh, that's the end. And it's like, no. No. Then she profited from her fame. Then she disappeared. Then she reappeared as someone else. I think if you're the kind of person as well, and I appreciate that at that time, you would have had limited options, especially as a woman yeah. within that time, mm-hmm. you would sort of want to exploit that to a certain degree. But I yeah. guess also if you're the kind of the person that would do that to that degree, it shouldn't be that surprising that the rest of your life is a bit Looney Tunes yeah, as well. Does, that does make sense. Because are you still looking up... <laughs> No, you're looking at photos of yourself. (laughs) You've been busted. (laughs) Yeah, pumpkin busted. Yes, I very much enjoyed that. Yeah, I I think thought that you would appreciate a murdery burlesque story. Mm, Yeah, being a a fellow murderer. So far that you've uncovered. What's that? The only burlesque murder that you've uncovered. Other than uh, Belva Gartner, who's the woman who inspired. The musical Chicago. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but this is so similar to the musical Chicago. It is, yeah. But this, because uh, that all happened in the 20s. Mm. And then this is 20 years later in the 40s. There was 40s. no yacht, babes. And there was no yacht. There was no Chuck. There was there no needs to Bobby Capo. a yacht based musical. Or just that. So that's the only criteria. <laughs> just a yacht based musical. Okay. And Showgirls. Okay. So Showgirls um, to on the high seas. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, um, there was another like short story in, again involved in the case, which uh, was a cabaret singer called Lorraine De Wood, who turned up in Life magazine as she had been an ex of John Lester Me. Right. Just this fact rose her to some stardom, brief but still, um, and she began earning $1,250 per week, less than a month after the murder. 
So she was straight away like, hey, I'd bang that guy. So this, basically this dead guy is doing a lot of these women a hell of a lot of good yeah. by being dead. By just dying. This doesn't happen these days, does it? No. <laughs> well, also it's much easier to check out a story these days. Yeah. Because this is the thing. I mean, we're talking yeah, about... Yeah, because we like, This could all be elaborate works of fiction. It could be, but yeah. this was in Life magazine. But the way that Life magazine opened the article about this woman was saying that she was singing in a second-raked Milwaukee nightclub oh, called that. the TikTok at the time that Lester Moo was shot. Mm. So even Life magazine was like, she worked in a shithole. Yeah. And now she had some kind of thing with this guy who is big news at the moment and we will um we'll give you some money to come and sing at our club for that and that's all you have to do i mean i don't want to glamorize murder but my career would probably do a lot better if i could get well, rid of one of them i just like that she was a stripper turned murderer turned artist turned cultural appropriator <laughs> so she got a lot done Turn to voice time. for the people that were not her people. Yeah. yeah, well, it's just the way that she's like, it's so important that it's authentic whilst being not authentic. But let's not forget the real hor- hero in this story. Mm-hmm. Chuck. Chuck. Yeah, <laughs> Chuck. Chuck's a hero. He could have stopped the shooting, but he didn't. What happened to Chuck? Uh, I assume you know, he got to keep the boat. <laughs> <laughs> what a joy. Go down with the ship. Yeah, he's like my my lovely John has gone and oh, now all I have is this boat the ghost of named John after boat. named after the woman who killed John. He'd never be number one, Chuck. No, never be number poor one. Poor Chuck. Poor second Chuck. But second you did also command. survive. Yeah, no one shot him. <laughs> so yeah, and he didn't well, shoot anyone. We don't know anything about Chuck. Well, Maybe this is he your... went off the rails. This is the new mission. This is your mission. Should you Find choose to accept Chuck. it? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shant. <laughs> Got other things to do. <laughs> other non-Chuck related things. I would like someone else to do that though and then tell me about it. Okay. Well, yes. Yeah. I've got enough to do. Busy. <laughs> I think Chuck sailed away. And to that, a happy life. That was the end of Chuck. He was just like, Bye. I mean, you're really running with the, the small nugget of a concept. That's my whole life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is who I am. Oh, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I did. You know, Halloween-y kind of, but Ooh. murder-y yeah. story. Um, and also a good reminder of people... To not culturally Where appropriate this Halloween. Where did you get shot? What's that? Where did you get shot? On the boat. In the neck. In the neck. Oh. Yeah, on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> got shot on the boat. Yeah, shot With the boat, what? Guys. A gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got shot in the neck, and he either carried on living for either five or eight days. It's conflicting. So I want to know. So he was just. I don't think he was what awake. the journey was between him getting shot and then getting taken to the hospital. If there was like five to eight days in that, like, did she phone the Coast Guard immediately? Did someone hear it? Like, how did that go down? Well, he was. He, I think they, he was taken straight to hospital. But bearing in mind, but it's a boat with Chuck. How are we getting on, on the boat? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, it was it was moored, so I would assume it's not too difficult i would hope no but what i mean is who made the call oh i see mm. do you think would they have had radio yeah yeah maybe they would have radioed and been like um would she have, would she have been like oh i shot him and well exactly was it heart well, or was it chuck because yeah. if, if he wasn't dead so if you really wanted do to you dead, think he shot twice patricia took the blame but Chuck would just go. Or maybe Chuck and Patricia were what having happened? a thing. And they had to get John out the way. They had to get John out the way. There's so that many... dress had to be made. Yes. <laughs> she's like, I've got to make this dress. But then she somehow married someone else anyway. So well, maybe because Chuck she... was just like, maybe. Yeah, maybe like maybe we should cool now. it a little bit. Maybe it. leave it now because yeah, I'm a murder. Shoot a murderer yeah. and I'm probably a homosexual. Yeah. 
Chuck. <laughs> He's like, um, I was going to marry you, but then you did a murder and that put me <laughs> off. And... <laughs> You've done a murder. Yeah. I think we should see other people. I'll go get the Coast Guard. <laughs> I like it as well, because the more that you know about it, the more you're just like, firstly, this still doesn't make any sense. And it always yeah. becomes more of a mystery. It does, like, yeah. You're like, I'm never going to get to the bottom because of this. When when I read the story and it was like, oh yeah, that sounds like she had to defend herself and that she got acquitted. Great. And then I found all of that following stuff, mm-hmm. which was really hard to actually find. Well, it was really hard to find any I mean, of that stuff. Yeah, it proves that she is a, a perpetual liar. She's mm. constantly lying about something. Mm. So now that kind of casts a little bit of doubt on whether she did or didn't and did she just get away with it because she was a pretty young thing because mm-hmm. she seemed to have a, a sea of admirers who were willing to try and pay for all her legal fees and help her get out and fund movies starring her well I don't know how feminist I'm feeling right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm questioning many things yeah it's it's all a very strange story that hasn't really got a, a yeah. finite resolution oh Patricia oh Patricia Satira Chuck. the movie <laughs> Uh, so would you like to sing us a little outro of uh, Chuck and Satira and the wanting of a boat? All I can think of is the girl from Ipanema. <laughs> <laughs> and as Velma sings us out this lovely background girl from Ipanema. Uh, we shall sign off for another week <laughs> thank you for joining me Snooky and thank you and for having me Thelma who is now just dying <laughs> we will be back next week thank you for listening and happy Halloween, happy Halloween!